You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. When I was seven years old, my family moved from Abilene, Texas to Dayton, Ohio. And when I moved to this new home, uh, there were so many things that were different. Uh, The way that people talked was different. The culture uh, was different. Uh, There was snow on the ground. And uh, probably strangest of all, uh, people cheered for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And uh, so there was a lot of things that were very different about this place. And, and to be honest with you, I stood out. Uh, I had a, a deep uh, southern accent, a Texas accent, I should say, uh, and, and I dressed a little bit differently. And so I was definitely out of place. And I remember one specific memory uh, that kind of encapsulates all of this uh, was the first day of school. I walked in uh, to the classroom, and at some point during the first class, I responded to my teacher, yes, ma'am. Now, that was something I was raised to do. Uh, it was something that I was taught, and, and in the culture I had come from, that was, that was kind of a normal uh, thing that, that you would do in addressing a teacher. And I thought it was the right thing to do. But my teacher did not, and she reprimanded me uh, for saying yes, ma'am, because she said it made her feel old. Now, I definitely, at seven years old, in this context, in a new place, in in this response from my teacher, I felt completely out of place. I felt like I was not at home. And maybe you've had a similar experience like that. Maybe there's been a time in your life where uh, you've moved or you've been a different place and you very much felt like you were out of place, like you were not at home. Well, this is the, the picture that, that Peter is writing to us as we've been looking through this, the, the first letter of First Peter. Uh, he's been showing us over and over that we as followers of Christ, as Christians in this world, are, are not at home. And in the passage that we'll be looking at today in First Peter chapter 2, uh, he's going to begin the passage uh, by using the, world, the words exiles and sojourners. And these words uh, point us to this fact that we are to live as those who are not at home in this world. Now, an exile, when, when Peter writes that, uh, is, is someone who's living in a place that's not their home. They're displaced. So maybe in our context, these would be like refugees who are, who are living somewhere that's not their home. And, and then the other word, sojourners, uh, this is a picture of a person who's on a journey. And so as, as they're moving along this journey, they may stop at somewhere along the way and set up camp, but ultimately they're not staying there long but they're continuing on their way to an ultimate destination. And as Christians, we are to live in the world with this kind of mentality, uh, with with a, a lack of permanence in this place. And we're reminded that ultimately this life and these bodies that we have uh, are, are not at home here. And I have been reminded of this uh, in several ways very personally through uh, some, some health crises in my own family and, and some, some struggles there. Uh, ultimately, uh, a few weeks ago, my youngest son, John Martin, who's, who's 21 months old, uh, we saw his fever continue to rise and he was having some trouble breathing. And so we took him uh, to the hospital and he had viral pneumonia. 
And then uh, literally just a few days later, uh, my wife got sick and, and her temperature continued to rise until it got up to 105. And so we took her into the hospital, ended up spending a few days in the ICU, and, and they still don't know exactly what that sickness was. And then yesterday, uh, my oldest son, Judson, who just turned five, was, was running across the living room and tripped and hit his head on the corner of our coffee table and busted his head wide open. And uh, in all of these, it's, it's just been a crazy few weeks uh, that we have had three of our family members in the hospital uh, in, in, in less than 30 days. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I don't follow suit here they say things happen in threes, and, and hopefully that's the end of it. But, but in all of this, uh, this has been a personal, tangible reminder to me that, that our bodies are fragile and temporary, and, and that ultimately uh, they are not meant to be forever, but, but they're just part of this life that is just a stop along the, destina- along the way to the destination. And, and ultimately, we are called to remember that and live as though this world is not our home. Now, now, what does this actually mean? So how does this actually flesh out in our daily lives to live as exiles and sojourners? Well, we're going to look at our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 down to the end of the chapter. And so as we read this, uh, we are hearing the words of God that carry his authority to us. Beginning in verse 11, Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are speaking to us this morning through your word. And, and Father, we acknowledge that, that we don't always know the way that we struggle through this life. And and Father, we come before you uh, in desperation, in need of direction. And so Father, we pray that you would give us that through your word. God, we pray that through your spirit, you give us minds and hearts to receive what you have to say to us. And that through your spirit, you give us the ability to respond in obedience. Ultimately, 
that our lives will bring glory to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider this passage and as we consider this call to live as exiles and sojourners in this life, uh, there's a few things that I want to point out this morning. And I want you to notice first that we are called to fight as soldiers in battle against sin. And we see this in verse 11, which says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, passions of flesh, these are not just like natural desires uh, for things like eating. But what he's talking about is a very powerful, uh, consistent urge for us to give in to sin, for, for us to give in to things like lust, for us to give in to things like gluttony or drunkenness or, or an urge to, to gossip about someone or to slander someone or, or any number of things. These are these powerful urges towards sin that tug at our hearts on a daily basis. And I want you to, to notice ultimately that becoming a Christian it does not mean that you lose these temptations and struggles with sinful desires, right? Some, some people think, okay, once I become a Christian, that like overnight my life will turn into this one long episode of the Andy Griffith show. That, that's not what it's like. We continue to struggle with, with sins and, and our flesh as long as we're in this body. Now notice what he says, that these passions and desires of the flesh wage war against your soul. And he's giving us this picture that our hearts are, are like a battlefield and that there is a war that is being waged on the turf of our hearts in every place that we go, in every situation that we're in, and in every relationship that we have. There is this battle, there is this war, there is this carnage and violence that is happening inside our hearts. And what we see is that the stakes of this battle, the stakes of this war are incredibly high because it's not just physical violence. If, if we give in to sinful behavior, it, just, it doesn't just affect us physically or in our body. Now, now that's what we often think in, in the way our culture would say, your body is physical. And so the things you do in your body just, just affect you physically. But we know by experience and from God's word, that you cannot separate your body from your soul. And so when the passions of the flesh are winning this war, when you're, when you're giving in to temptation and, and sin, what, what, what Peter writes is that ultimately you are, you are being destroyed. There is violence that is taking place at a spiritual level. And even the very deepest part of your being your soul. And so because the, the war is real and because the stakes are so high, we can't live with a peacetime mentality. Now, because we live in America, uh, we ha have had the luxury of living in a very peacetime mentality. Uh, we don't go throughout our days trying to dodge machine gun fire or, or looking out for missile strikes as we're driving down the road. In many parts of the world, this is a constant reality, but, but we don't experience that. We, we live in this peacetime mindset. And so often we can have that mentality when it comes to our spiritual life too. We can, we can live with a sense of, of comfort and apathy 
And ultimately, we, we don't even think about this war that we're in. And, and what Peter is saying is, is we can't live these passive spiritual lives. We have to live with a sense of a sober awareness that we are in a war. And we need to be engaged in this battle against the passions of our flesh because it is over control of our very souls. And so this war is being waged inside your heart. That's not a question. The only question is, are you fighting? Do you know the particular desires and passions that you struggle with? Are you taking aim through the power of the Spirit at these passions of the flesh? Or have you just given in? As exiles, as sojourners, as those who follow Christ, we are called to remember that we must fight like soldiers against sin. But notice, secondly, that we are called to, as exiles and sojourners, submit as citizens under authority. Submit as citizens under authority. And so the next description of of what this life looks like is that we are to submit to the human institutions that have been placed over us. We see this in verses 13 through 14. And and Peter says that that we are called to submit ourselves willingly to to governing authority over us. And and he uses two examples. He he says the emperor and governors. And and what this would be would be the highest level of authority and and then the more local level of authority. So, So this would be in our context like the president and then the more local governing authorities that would oversee a city or a community. And so Peter's saying, As followers of Christ, as exiles and sojourners, you're to submit to both the highest and lowest levels of authority that have been placed over you. And here's the deal. That's incredibly difficult for us. I mean, let's be honest this morning. When you hear this, this is not like, oh man, I can't wait to hear a sermon about authority over me, right? Especially when government is involved. And we struggle with this. And from the time we were infants, we struggle with this. I mean, you think of an infant who who stiffens up and just screams when they don't get what they want. And then as we get older, it doesn't change, right? A child, when when they want to control the decisions of the family, and they want you to to do something like pull into McDonald's and you don't, how do they respond? This has never happened to me personally, but I've heard that they can throw tantrums, right? Right? And it doesn't change. A teenager fights against his parents with, with curfew and, and rules. And, and then as we get to be an adult, as a, as a worker, uh, we, we will see uh, people who just, just hate their boss for, for trying to, to control them or tell them what to do or, or correct. And, and we see this just rage, this fight inside of us against authority from the time we're born until the time that we die. We fight authority, but we need to shift this mindset if we are going to be faithful followers of Christ in this world. You see, what's clear from Scripture is that when we refuse to submit to the human authorities over us, we are refusing to submit to God. Peter writes in verse 13 that we submit to every human institution. Why? For the Lord's sake. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, so governing authorities have been put in place by God, and we keep reading, therefore whoever resists the authorities 
resist what God has appointed. And, and, and so this adds a whole nother level of serious because when we, we're not just submitting because we fear the government or, or we, you know, we want to do the right thing. Uh, ultimately, we're doing this out of fear of God who has put this in place and called us to this submission. And if you're anything like me, you do something that you developed uh, a skill for as a young child, and that's you try to twist your way out of this, right? So, so we like to come up with reasons why the people in authority are not worthy of our submission. We don't agree with their policies. We, we disagree fundamentally with what they stand for. Well, we see the way that they exercise their authority as being unjust or corrupt, and so we decide that we can object to their authority. But the problem is, we don't have that license biblically. When you, when you hear Peter writing these words, I want you to remember the context that he's writing it. You guys know anything about the government in the ancient Roman Empire? These weren't like warm, fuzzy, Mr. Rogers type people, right? I mean, Christians were used as lanterns and lit on fire. They, they, they put them in, in coliseums to be killed by lions as entertainment. The, the leaders were known for rampant sexual immorality and debauchery. I mean, incredibly evil, what you would, would call corrupt people. And yet he's saying, these are who you submit to. These are the authorities that, that he's writing to people to submit to. And Nero, the emperor, would eventually crucify Peter upside down. I can assure you that any level of injustice that we face pales in comparison to this. So Peter doesn't give us this excuse, and it's the idea he's going to continue towards authority in verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Here's what we know. Human authority will never be perfect, right? There will always be some level of injustice. There will always be some level of flaw in the way that, that humans exercise authority. And let's be honest, in the areas of authority we oversee, there is injustice and flaws in that. But even in spite of this, we can bring glory to God by submitting and honoring the authority even when we don't agree with them or when they aren't completely just. But he takes it to the next level. This is not just about our behavior and submission, but he calls us to honor the emperor. And this affects the way that we, we talk, the attitudes that we have, that there's to be this sense of honor and respect towards this authority. We see it in Romans 13, 7, we're told to respect Give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Now, <clears throat> I would imagine that, that if I polled the audience this morning, that there would be some serious disagreements that we have with our president or those in leadership over us. Can I get an Amen. You guys are like, I don't know if I should do that. I think that we can have disagreement. I think it's right. Like, I think we should. There, there are very deep concerns I have over, over uh, you know, treatment of unborn life and religious liberty and, and multiple. I have very 
strong convictions and concerns and disagreements. And I think that's okay. I think that that's actually right and good. And we should not back down from addressing these things. Right, so, so we use our votes and whatever civil authority we've been given. We appeal to uh, those who are, who are over uh, areas that, that we are underneath, uh, to officials and to those who are over us. And, and ultimately, we do what we can in the courts to protect rights and, and to engage all of this with our elected officials. But even when we express disagreement... We do it with honor and respect because this is the way in which God has called us to live under authority. Now hear me say this, because when you hear all of this, you may think about, well, what about examples like this where this person in our country, this person in the news was told to do something that was against their faith. And I want you to hear me say clearly that if anyone, any level of authority over you, whether that's government, whether that's your boss or your teacher, or any level of authority over you tells you, commands you to do something that is against what God calls you to do in his word, your responsibility as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to reject that human authority and to submit to God, right? That is fundamentally, what, if, if you are told that, that, that you cannot do something that God calls you to do or that you must do something that God calls you not to do, ultimately, you are called to submit to the authority of God. This is what we see in Acts 5.27. When Peter and the apostles in the early church were, were commanded to stop preaching the gospel, they say, we must obey God rather than men. And that's been the case throughout church history, is, is, and it's the case in, in many places around the world, even this morning, that, that Christians are faced with choosing between disobeying God and obeying God, but, but facing suffering and ridicule and torture and death. And, and, and they have made this choice countless times to obey God and suffer the consequences. And that's, that's our call in this life as well. Because government is worthy of your citizenship, but only God is worthy of your soul. And so in those instances, that's what we are called to. But, but I would argue that the vast majority of the time and in every other instance, we must submit with honor as citizens under authority. I want you to notice next in this passage that, that as exiles and sojourners, we are called to live as free servants of God. In verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, and when you hear this concept of being people who are free, but also being people who are servants, uh, it feels like an oxymoron. This, the free servants doesn't seem to go together. It, it's like jumbo shrimp. Or, or Microsoft works. Or country music. They just, they just don't go together well, right? I know, I couldn't resist myself. But that's exactly the point that Peter is making. Right? He, he is making this very point that the only way to experience true freedom is by submitting as a servant of God and, and living the way not that you desire, but that he calls you to live. And we see this from the very beginning of Scripture. Adam and Eve, 
believed the lie of Satan that freedom was found in leaving the authority of God and living the way that they wanted to. But what they found is after they disobeyed God to call the shots on their own, instead of the joy and the freedom that they thought they would find, they found bondage, they found pain, they found brokenness. And in so many ways, we continue to believe the lie that true freedom is found in running away from authority and and living in autonomy, doing what we want to do. And this, this happens from a young age. If I were to ask you, what are the times in your life or, or, or what are the objects that you associate with freedom? Uh, it may be things like when you get your first bicycle. Because now you can leave your house, you can ride around the neighborhood, you can go to the store. Or, or maybe beyond that, when you got your driver's license and you could, could drive. Now you're, you're able to decide your schedule more where you go, or maybe it was when you left your, your family's house to go to college or to go get a job, and, and now you have this whole new sense of, of freedom. In all of these, it, it is a mindset that freedom is defined by a lack of authority. But ultimately, that's not the case when it comes to submitting to God's authority, right? What he says is that true freedom is, is not found in running from authority, but in submitting to the authority of God. Now, we're in a context, Knoxville, we have all this water around us. Uh, maybe you all have a boat or, or uh, you, you, know, you, you ride a boat. If you are driving a boat, you have the freedom at any time to decide that instead of driving your car home, you just want to take your boat up the ramp and down I-40, right? You have that freedom. Now, if you do that, the result will not be pretty. Or, or, or maybe you're a, a train engineer, as I know we have some who are here, and you decide that, that you don't like the rail placement and you would rather take a shortcut through the woods. You have that authority, but it's not going to end well. Why? Because both of those objects were created to work in a certain way. And there's freedom, they work well when they stay in the bounds in which they were made. And so we may, like that, we may decide, hey, we're going to run from authority. We want to call our shots. And there may feel like a sense of freedom for a time. But in the end, we'll end up a boat crashed on the highway, a train turned over in the woods. And many of us have experienced this through incredibly painful circumstances in our lives. But the freedom that we have in Christ is not freedom from God. It's not freedom to run to sin. It's freedom from sin and self that is experienced under the submission of God's authority. This is what it looks like to live as exiles and sojourners. But the final point that we're, we see in this passage this morning is that we are to, as exiles and sojourners, live as representatives of the kingdom of God. And we have seen that we fight against the passions of the flesh, we submit to authority over us, we live as free servants, but what we see Peter writing is that the point of doing, of of living this kind of life, is not just about ourselves. It's not just about us and how we live, but he says there is a greater purpose to living this kind of life. Verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What Peter is saying is he's saying as you lead these lives that you're called to live, uh, it will have an effect on the people who are watching you around you. And you are to, to view yourself as God's representative in any context in which you live. And this is an incredible truth, that, that if you are a follower of Christ, God has sovereignly placed you in, in a certain place, in certain positions and relationship to act as his representative. And this is, this is the ministry uh, that your entire life is to be lived under. And so you may go to your job. Maybe uh, you, know, you do any number of things. And you have a job description and, and certain responsibilities that you've been given. But in that job and in that context, you have an even higher calling. You are called to serve in your workplace, in that environment, as a representative of God himself. And the calling that you have is to be a picture of the coming kingdom of God. To be a picture of what it looks like to live under the authority of God. And, and I think of it like, how many, how many of you all have an Instagram account? Right? When I think of this, an Instagram account, for those of you who, who are still using PC products, um, is a, a snapshot of a person's life. And usually these are uh, these are these are pretty pictures, right? These are things that, that look well. And the concept is, is our lives are to be snapshots or, or pictures of what God's kingdom, and, and there's to be a, an attractiveness, if you will, to that. And ultimately, Peter says that if you live this life, you're seeking to follow God, you're seeking to be a representative of the kingdom of God, it won't, it won't be easy, right? You will face opposition, that, that you will be ridiculed, you will be rejected, you will be made fun of, why? Because you'll be different. You, you won't be living for the things that the people around you live for. You, you won't be talking or engaging in the activities that the people around you do. And so they'll mock you and they'll slander you. And, people, and Peter is saying, that's okay. Like, like, live with that. That is okay. You can't control the things that other people say about you, the way they respond to you, whether they accept you or not. You can't do anything about that, and you don't need to worry about it. But what you can do is make sure that they're saying something about you because they see the good in your life and not the bad things that you're doing. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We're not just to be known as Christians for what we don't do or what we're against, but so often that's how we think. We think Christianity is about we don't do these certain activities uh, or we're against these things. But that's absolutely not the biblical picture of Christianity. We're to be known what we're for. We're to be doing things and, and seen for doing good things. We're to be seen being generous and caring for those who are in need and, and going the extra mile to maintain our integrity at work or, or showing love and, and commitment to our spouses and, and honoring and loving others. That we're, we're seen doing these things in a way that's visible that the world around us can see. 
And he describes this life. Peter gives like his own bottom line of what this kind of life looks like that, that we're to make visible. In verse 17, he says, honor everyone. So everyone is deserving of certain honor and respect, regardless of who they are. Love the brotherhood. So there's this unique family-like love towards those who are followers of Christ. Fear God. So over and above every man, we fear God and we honor the emperor. So we live as, as good citizens as we've seen. And when we live this way, we will help people who are far from Christ. We will help the people who, who ridicule and reject us, who, who bother us, who, who may offend us. We, we help those people who initially think that we're idiots or we're bigots or any number of things. We, we, we help them over a long period of time to watch the example of our lives. And as they do that, and as we give this attractive picture, what Peter says is not everyone, but some people will see the difference that Christ makes. That some people will see that following Christ makes us better citizens, makes us better spouses, makes us better bosses and better workers and any number of things. As they see that, that eventually some of them will desire what we have. And they'll move from being mockers of God to worshipers of God. He says, on the day of visitation, this brings glory to Christ. But in order to live this way, right, to serve as representatives, we have to constantly, daily, even hourly, remember the fact that we are not at home in this world. We have to constantly remind ourselves, this is not our home. We're not living for the things of this world Because ultimately, that's the only way that we can live the lives of exiles and sojourners that we're called to. Now, a lot of years have passed since I was that skinny kid from Texas with a deep accent and cowboy boots walking into that classroom and being called out by my teacher for saying, yes, ma'am. And I moved several more times, six to be exact. But if I'm honest with you, I've never really felt at home. And even over the, the past few weeks, as I've stayed up into the night to give our baby breathing treatments for pneumonia, as I've held my wife's hand in the ICU, and even yesterday as I clean the blood off the gash in my son's forehead. It all keeps reminding me over and over and over again of the truth that I'm not home yet. Charles Spurgeon wrote an incredibly helpful quote. He said, be thankful for the thorns and the thistles that keep you from being in love with this world. See, that feeling that you have of not being at home, the, the pains and the difficulties that you face are actually gifts of God's grace because they keep you from living these, these contented, self-focused lives pursuing the things of this world because those things won't last. They'll all pass away. And it's through these experiences 
that we are reminded that we are just sojourners who are on a journey. But we're not alone. Because as we look down the path, we see the footsteps of Jesus ahead of us. And when we look closely, we see that they're scabbed over with spike holes. And this reminds us of the kind of life that he calls us to, a life that involves suffering and difficulty. But then you look up. And you see the golden glow on the horizon. And you're reminded that we're going somewhere to eternal destination that is a place of endless peace and joy. And when you see that, it gives you the strength to follow Jesus down into the valley of the shadow of death. But just for a moment. Because you also follow him out into the blazing light of the resurrection. And so in his strength and with his living hope, we will make it through the difficulties and the pains and the temptations and the struggles of this life because we know where we're going. Home. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as those who admit our own struggle to live this life that we've seen in your word this morning. Father, we confess to to sin and to struggles. God, I confess that so often I am too at home in this world. But Father, thank you for the truth that we are not left alone in our hopelessness. But that you sent your son Jesus as the one who perfectly battled sin as the one who perfectly submitted to authority even to the point of dying on a cross. But thank you that it didn't end there. But if he rose from the grave in victory, and that because of that we have the hope that this world is not the end, but that we look forward to eternity and glory forever with him. So Father, may that bring us hope. May that come to our minds on a daily basis as we struggle through the realities of this life. And Father, may we, by the power of your spirit, live lives as exiles and sojourners in this world. Ultimately, for the glory of our king, the name above all names, the king above all kings, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.